good to sing together. Grab a quick seat. Great job worshiping together today. I hope that as we worship together, you are encouraged. I don't know what you walked in here with today, maybe going through a tough circumstance, maybe a painful situation. Man, I hope that you leave encouraged. If we haven't had a chance to meet yet, my name's Adam, one of the pastors here. And it's great to see so many of you here on our campus. I'm glad that all of you are joining us online as well. And uh, you picked a great day to be here with us because we're kicking off a brand new series called Ready or Not. We're going to take four weeks and we're going to talk about Joshua, kind of a a character from the Old Testament. I think there's a lot of principles from his life that we can take and we can apply to our lives today. So I'm super excited to get this kicked off with you today. But before we start talking about Joshua, I want to take a minute to celebrate some things happening in the life of our church, specifically with our Next Generation ministry area. Now, if you're new to Vaughn Forest, Next Generations are basically um, babies all the way through high school seniors. And so uh, that's a big part of who we are as a church, but also the parents. Parents of kids and teenagers, we like to come alongside them and equip them and encourage them and remind them that they are not alone. And God's doing a lot of great things in our next generation ministry. So before I give you some specifics of what he's doing, uh, let me kind of give a reminder. We talk about this a lot at Discover Vaughn Forest. We talk about this a lot at membership. We talk a lot about this at our annual members meeting at the end of the year. But here at a church, here at Vaughn Forest, at our church, the next generation really matters to us. In fact, we would say it this way, they're our first priority. A lot of times what can happen in a church, and it's unintentional, I don't think people mean to do this, but what can happen is that the kids and the teenagers kind of get the leftovers because the adults, they just keep getting put first. And here, we kind of flip that. What we say here is we put the kids and the teenagers first and the adults get the leftovers. And what I love about our church is that the adults are like, yeah, absolutely. We want to go all in with the next generation. So what does that mean? Well, they get the best facilities. They get the best staffing. They get the best resources. And there's a couple of reasons for that. One, we really believe that when when kids go into the world at 18 years old today, it's a lot different than the world we went into when we were 18. A lot of times what can happen in the life of a church is, again, unintentionally, is a church is raising up kids and teenagers and sending them to a world. The problem is the world that they've prepared them for is 1980. The world they've prepared them for is 1990. What we want to do is prepare kids and teenagers for the world they're walking into today. The other thing that really drives everything about how we look at the next generation is we really believe whoever wants them the most will get them. And I have to tell you this, there are a lot of organizations and entities out there that are after our kids and they're after our teenagers, and what they are after has nothing to do with God, God's Word, or godly principles. And in this community, we're going to make sure that kids and teenagers always know we want them first. So somebody else doesn't show up and try to convince them of something that's going to lead them astray. And I'm so grateful to have a church like Vaughn Forest that is all in with that. So let me tell you some specifics of what's been happening. So last Sunday, we checked in 220 kids. Now these are babies through fifth graders on one Sunday. That's the most kids that we've checked in on any Sunday other than Easter this year. That's fantastic. Last Sunday, we checked in 84 teenagers, middle school and high school students in our student ministry during the 930 hour. Now that's far and away the most students that we have checked in in any Sunday this entire year, including Easter. We've got close to 100 volunteers now serving in the next generation ministry, whether that's nursery, preschool, children's ministry, student ministry. So so many of you call Vaughn for us 
home, this ministry area is happening because of you. We only have three staff people in this area right now, and one of them, it's not even really the area he's supposed to be focusing on, okay? So I'll talk about that in a second, but Morgan and Kendall, who lead our kids' ministry, continue to do an amazing job, but they could not do it without you and all of the time, effort, and energy you put in serving, so thank you for that. And then Chad Boak, who is our executive pastor of ministries, is leading our student ministry right now because we are in a search for our next student pastor. I'll talk about that more in a second. So Chad's been leading this thing for a couple of months, and all he's managed to do is grow the thing. So we're really grateful for Chad and his leadership during this season. And so what I did during the month of July was I ate a, I ate a lot. Isn't that what pastors do? We just eat a lot, right? So like I had a lot of meals, a lot of people. Specifically, I had four lunches with different parents of students in our student ministry. And I don't know the exact number, but I think if you add up all of those lunches, there are about 70 parents that came to one of those lunches, and it was awesome. We got to sit around and eat, and we did enjoy that. But then we got to talk about all things student ministry, all things teenagers. And I got some really great feedback and some super helpful input for what we need to be looking for in our next student pastor. We've heard from, from our, some of our students as well. We also have fantastic relationships with the Pike Road schools, and so administrators and coaches, they give great insight into these things as well. And we had a couple of candidates that we'd been interviewing and kind of taking a look at, but we didn't really feel like the Lord was leading us um, in that direction. And so ultimately, our leadership team decided to bring in a very reputable search firm that's going to help us launch kind of a nationwide search for our next student pastor. And so they're going to be here on our campus in a few weeks. They'll be spending time with our, some parents, some time with some students, sometimes our leadership team, and then we're going to launch into that search. And the one thing that was a shared consensus among all the parents that I met with was let's take our time. Let's really make sure that we hear from the Lord for who it is that we add to this team moving forward because God is up to something here. God's doing some amazing things in our next generation ministry area. And we know that God already knows who that next person is, but we want that to be the right fit. We want that to be the person that God brings our way. So I'm gonna ask you to be in prayer for that. We will keep you updated along the way. We don't have a set timeline. Like I said, we wanna take our time and move in God's time. But as we have progress in that search, I will certainly keep all of you posted. And so lots of exciting things that are um, happening in our next generation ministry. And I just wanted to take a minute to celebrate that. And then tell you one last thing. What are we looking for in our next student pastor? I think that's probably a question a lot of people are always wondering. So one of the things that we talked about at these lunches was, was that. So let me just kind of give you our playbook. Or I'm going to go ahead and give you our playbook. Here's our playbook. We're looking for somebody that's going to come in and disciple the students who are already here. There are a lot of students in our community that need to meet Jesus, but we got a lot of students here right now who are still trying to get their faith grounded. Colossians 2 says, let your roots grow down deep. We want somebody who's going to help them continue to do that. We want someone who's going to help equip them for life beyond high school. So how do you take the tools that you can develop, whether it's reading God's Word, prayer, sharing your faith, worship, and use those tools to continue to walk with the Lord once you leave school? I tell Sam, our oldest, all the time, I'm like, buddy, the things you are learning how to do right now are the same things I learned when I was your age, and they're the same things I still do today to keep me close to God. So students can begin to learn those things at a very early age. We want someone to help them cultivate a heart for what it means to be on mission, that at all times our students are on mission, whether it's at school, on the ball field, extracurricular activities, to be a contributor rather than a consumer. But we also want them to be on mission um, in other parts of our city, in other parts of our community, and other cities in our nation that are a little less church than Montgomery, Alabama, that we want to send them there to share the gospel. We want to give them opportunities overseas to go into nations that the gospel needs to be shared. We don't think you have to wait around to start doing that. We think you can start doing that from a very young age. And then finally, more practically 
practically speaking, we want someone who's going to really help us eventually split this into a high school and a middle school ministry. I mean, right now we have a student ministry, and it's fantastic what God is doing, but I don't have to tell you the needs of an 11th grade girl and a 6th grade boy. They're very, very different. So we ultimately want to be able to minister to those needs in more specific ways. So that's our playbook. That's what we're asking God for. I want to invite you to join us in that prayer, and then like I said, we'll keep you updated along the way. But for today, we are going to jump in. We're going to talk about Joshua and if you're new to church, if you're new to the Bible, let me give you kind of a little quick summary, 30,000 perspective, 30,000 foot perspective of Joshua's life. First of all, he's born into slavery. He was born into slavery because the Hebrew people, the Israelites, had been enslaved in Egypt. This is the time frame that we're in in the Bible. So probably you've heard of Moses. Moses was the leader during this time. In fact, Joshua was one of the Israelites that was led out of Egypt by Moses. So again, maybe you're new to church, new to the Bible. Moses, you probably heard the name, parting the Red Sea. That's what we're talking about here. So Moses, God parts the Red Sea, leads the children of Israel out of Egypt. Joshua was one of the folks who would have walked through the parted Red Sea. By the age of 40, Joshua had demonstrated some leadership ability. We're actually going to talk about that today. Around the age of 80, Joshua, not Moses, led the Israelites into the promised land. I can't stress this to you enough. Nobody would have seen that coming. I mean, if anybody was going to lead the children of Israel into the promised land, it was going to be Moses. I mean, Moses was the one who led them out of slavery. So surely Moses was the guy, and in reality, he wasn't. It was actually Joshua that led the children of Israel into the promised land. And then finally, Joshua died at the age of 110, okay? So there's a lot of things from Joshua's life that I think we can learn, and I want you to grab some message notes because we're going to go ahead and jump right in today and get real specific here. They're inside your bulletin. If you're joining us online, you can access them here at vaughnforest.com. So if you're taking notes, let me give you our big idea. Jot it down. It'll kind of launch us to where we're going today. When called upon, Joshua was ready for the task God had before him. Big idea. I just kind of gave you a quick little summary. It was Joshua who led the children of Israel into the promised land, not Moses. And when it was Joshua's time, title of the series, Ready or Not, here's good news, Joshua was ready. He was ready. That when God called upon Joshua, he was ready for the task that God had before him. I love the passage, so we're going to read it. This is how the book of Joshua starts, okay? It's one of my favorite passages in the whole Bible. Joshua chapter 1, starting in verse 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give to them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. This is a good point in the Bible. This is God looking at Joshua and saying, it is your time. I am with you. Don't fear. Be strong. Be courageous. Lead these people moving forward. And you may think, well, that's awesome. Like Joshua was ready for his time. But that was a really long time ago. And that's a pretty specific, specific set of circumstances. Like leading God's people, the Israelites, into the promised land. What does that have to do with me today? And I think it has a lot to do with us today. And there's a 
kind of obscure verse in the Old Testament that can be easy to pass over that I think draws attention to this fact. So let me give you this little verse, okay? I think it says a lot to us. Second Chronicles 16, 9. For the eyes of the Lord roam to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. You know what this verse is saying? Is that at all times God is looking for someone to use. That at all times God is looking. And what's he looking for? He's looking for people whose hearts are loyal to him. Why? So that he can show himself strong on their behalf. And church, let me tell you what I know about what's happening in our world in 2022. God's looking for people he can use. God's looking for people who will be loyal to him. God's looking for people who he can show up on their behalf. And for some of you here on our campus, for some of you joining us online, God has an amazing opportunity for you down the road. God has something really big that he wants to use you to do. There's others of you here. God has something for you, but by our world standards, it would be considered small. And so many times in church, we make a really big deal about the big things, and we kind of ignore the small things. Can I encourage you in God's economy? They're the same. So whether God wants to use you to do something that by the world's definitions and standards may seem small, or whether God wants to use you to do something that others may notice and may seem big, can I tell you what God is looking for? He's looking for people like Joshua. He's looking for people who, when he calls upon them, they will actually be Ready. So let me tell you what we're going to do today. We're going to unpack what I am calling some preparation principles from the life of Joshua. Some preparation principles from the life of Joshua. See, I've already kind of given you the end of the story. Joshua's the guy. Joshua's the person who leads the children of Israel into the promised land at the age of 80. But what we're going to talk about today is a pretty unique set of circumstances that occurred in Joshua's life 40 years earlier when he was 40 years old. And what happened to Joshua when he was 40 years old and the way he handled it when he was 40 years old set into motion some things that allowed him to be prepared for what God brought his way 40 years later. And I'm calling those preparation principles. The other thing I want you to see before we jump in, I share these principles with you, is that oftentimes what God uses to prepare us is not what we have chosen, what we would have chosen. We're going to see today, and you will be able to see pretty quickly, that the circumstances that began to unravel in Joshua's life to prepare him to give us these preparation principles certainly are not what Joshua would have chosen. And can I encourage you? The same might be happening for you. That sometimes when God wants to prepare you for something, the way he prepares you is not at all what you would want. It's not at all what you would choose. And yet God in his infinite sovereignty and wisdom knows that it will actually prepare you. So I hope you're taking notes. Let me give you three preparation principles. We're going to get into the story and see how this unfolds today. So here's the first one. In real time, first preparation principle. In real time, preparation for the future is actually just trusting God today. It's actually just trusting God today. So let me give you a little bit of background before we jump in and read our passage, okay? So Moses leads the children of Israel, and they're kind of on the fringe of the promised land. They're almost there. And what happens is 12 spies are selected. And these 12 spies are sent into the promised land to do what? Spy. And they're going to come back and bring a report. So there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people. And of those 12, Joshua is one of the guys that's chosen. 
So clearly he's already shown some type of capacity to be included in these 12 spies. These 12 spies are sent into the promised land. They're supposed to survey, come back. They're there for 40 days. They return and Joshua and his buddy Caleb, I'm going to really summarize here for you, basically come back and say, let's go. They basically come back and say, it's everything that we could have ever imagined and more. God's given it to us. Let's go. The problem is the other 10 guys are like, there ain't no way. The other 10 guys are like, listen, it may look good, Joshua and Caleb, but did you notice the people there? They're huge. In fact, what these 10 guys say is the people who live there, they're so big, they're so mighty, they're so strong, we're like grasshoppers in their sight. They're going to squish us. There's no way we can do this. Now, what makes this worse is that there's a lot of people who are gathered around witnessing all of this, and these 10 guys begin to influence all of the other people. And all of the other people begin to go, what on? on earth like they literally say to Moses why did you bring us here we should have just stayed in Egypt did you literally bring us here so we could die the same people who walked through the parted Red Sea are saying to Moses now we don't think God can do this and this is Joshua's shot I mean he's been chosen to be one of these 12 he can see what's beginning to happen. He and Caleb, his buddy, no, 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 no. This is what we're supposed to do. And Joshua is going to assert himself with some leadership, and he's going to speak into this crowd and try to help them understand, no, we don't need to be fearful. God is with us. So here's the passage from the book of Numbers where Joshua speaks to them. Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had explored the land, tore their clothes. They're upset. This is how they're showing their mourning. And they said to the entire Israelite assembly, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he'll lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord. Do not be afraid of the people in the land, because we will devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. Can I tell you what that is? That is leadership. That is someone who is looking at the crowd and not going with the crowd. That is someone who's saying, even if the rest of y'all turn on God, I'm sticking with God. And I wasn't there that day, but what I imagine Joshua thinking was, once they hear from me and Caleb, we'll, we'll kind of change their minds. I mean, leadership is influencing people, and I'm going to kind of challenge them, and they're going to go, we were idiots. We need to listen to Joshua and Caleb. I mean, Joshua may get like a TED Talk on how to do leadership motivational speeches. I don't know, right? Joshua's like thinking, I got this. I'm going to get these people all on the same page. But look at what the very next verse says. The very next verse. But the whole assembly talked about stoning them. That's not what he's going for. That's not what he's going for. But in real time... This simple act of obedience, faithfulness, trusting God at his word actually began to set into motion some events that God was going to use to prepare Joshua. And it's not going well so far. In fact, that's what leads us to our second preparation principle. When obedience doesn't go well, God may be leading you into a season of preparation. Let's just talk about this for a second. A little sidebar here, a little sidebar message. Churches have done a pretty bad job over the years, and I just kind of mean the big C church, lots of churches. There's not like a handbook that everybody follows that says, hey, do this. It's just kind of an observation, okay? Churches have done a, a pretty poor job of serving Christians by creating this culture, thought process that if you obey God, things will go well. 
that if you want blessing, just obey. Now, I can take you to plenty of verses that will literally say, if you want blessing, obey. But what then begins to happen is people begin to think, well, if I want God to do something for me, all I have to do is do something for God. And then if I do something for God, God has to do something for me. This idea that if I do something for God, that means things are going to go well for me is not Christianity, church. That's called karma. And a lot of people's view of Christianity is actually closer to karma. Hey, God, I'll do my thing, you do yours. What's the problem with that? Well, what happens when you're obedient and things don't go well? What happens when you obey God and God doesn't come through for you like you hoped he would? Can I tell you that over the pages of Scripture, a pretty common theme is that when you obey, sometimes circumstances get worse. A pretty common theme is that when you obey, oftentimes it doesn't go the way you thought it would. When you obey, guess who shows up in your life? The enemy. Satan will leave you alone as long as you'll keep disobeying God. The moment you obey, you invite him into your life. Every time we baptize someone here at Vaughn Forest, I meet with them backstage. We've got a team of people, kind of our baptism team, and I show up and talk to them for a minute and pray with them for a second, and then I look at them. I say this to everybody who's about to get baptized. I look at them, I say, listen, let me just tell you this straight up. You're about to have a terrible week. Don't you want to get baptized at Vaughn Forest Church, right? I tell them that every single week, right? And they look at me with a very puzzled look, and I say, let me explain. You're about to take a step of obedience. That's what baptism is. It's a step of obedience. And oftentimes when you take a step of obedience, you think, okay, I'm doing what God wants me to do. Now things are finally going to get better. I said, let me tell you what might happen this week. The enemy may show up in your life because you're now moving in the right direction. And he's gonna try to discourage you. He's gonna try to make you think you did the wrong thing. He's gonna try to make you think that God's not real. And I said, when that happens, will you remember this conversation and will you be reminded that as your pastor, I'm gonna be praying for you this week. That oftentimes when we take a step of obedience, circumstances in our life actually begin to get sideways. And what we're about to see here in this passage is the beginning of that start to unfold. So let's go back to our story from today from the book of Numbers, okay? Now this is God talking, okay? There's probably the quotation marks here. And God has had enough. You ever had enough? I got three boys. There are times I'm just like, I have had enough. Am I the only parent that ever says that? I hope not, okay? God's had enough. He's just had it. He's tired of all this grumbling. So look what God says, okay? In this wilderness, your bodies will fall. Every one of you, 20 years old or more, that's a key phrase to remember, who was counted in the census and who has grumbled against me. Not one of you will enter the land I swore with uplifted hand to make your home, except Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, son of Nun. As for your children that you said would be taken as plunder, I will bring them in to enjoy the land that you've rejected. But as for you, your bodies will fall in this wilderness. And let's just all kind of call a time out here for a second. Think about this from Joshua and Caleb's perspective. If you're hearing this, this declaration from God, there's a couple things you just heard. One of them's good, one of them's a little confusing, okay? First of all, God said if you're over the age of 20, you're going to fall and die except for two guys, Joshua and Caleb. Now, that's a very short list, and if your name's on the list, that's good, all right? So Joshua and Caleb are like, short list, we're on the list, but everybody else, he said that's over the age of 20, they're gonna die. Now, they don't know the circumstances that are going to unfold here in just a minute. We'll jump back into the passage, but just for a moment, if you're Joshua and Caleb, and here's what you just heard, Everybody over the age of 20 is going to die. If you're Joshua and Caleb, you talk about now leading a next generation ministry, right? I mean, they're now in charge of all the kids, all the teenagers, all the babies. Like, this had to feel a little overwhelming. Like, whoa, what is happening here? Everybody over the age of 20 is about to die? 
And everybody that's under the age of 20 is going to enter the promised land. And the only two people that that criteria is not going to apply to are Joshua and Caleb. That had to create a little bit of anxiety. But unfortunately, it got much worse with what God continued to tell them. So let's go back to our passage from Numbers 14. Your children will be shepherds here for 40 years, suffering for your unfaithfulness until the last of your bodies lies in the wilderness for 40 years. One year for each of the 40 days you explored the land, you will suffer for your sins and know what it is like to have me against you. I, the Lord, have spoken, and I will surely do these things to this whole wicked community which has banded together against me. They will meet their end in this wilderness. Here they will die. You see what just happened? Joshua got it right. Joshua trusted God. Joshua said, no, no, God will go before us. God's brought us this far. God's not going to abandon us. We just have to keep trusting him. Joshua did everything right. And here's what happened. He's got to spend 40 years in the wilderness. 40 years. Joshua's 40 years old. In this moment, what he realized is every moment of my life up until now, I'm about to have to do it again just to get to where I already know we need to be today. You say, that's not fair. No, it's not fair by our own human wisdom and thinking. How is that fair? How is it that, God, that Joshua did the right thing and this is where it landed him? I said, well, why would God do that? Like, why would God do that? Well, there's a few things we have to be reminded about with God. First of all, God's ways are not our ways. Second of all, God will often take someone through a season of preparation before a season of fruitfulness. God will take someone through a season of preparation before a season of influence. God will take someone through a season of preparation before a season of harvest. And, and, and I want you to think about this for a second. God already knew what was going to happen in the future. God already knew that Joshua was going to be the person to lead the children of Israel into the promised land. So God was fully present in Joshua's future, and now Joshua had to trust that God was going to be fully present in his present. And see, for some of you, that might be exactly what's going on right now. You may have like a deep desire for something better to happen than what's going on in your life right now, but might it be that God actually has you in a season of preparation? Might it be that God is doing some things in you right now because there's a future season of influence. There's a future season of harvest. There's a future season of fruit. Because see, whether it's Joshua or you or me, can I tell you something that you can take to the bank every single time? Before God wants to do something through you, he wants to do something in you. He wants to do something in you. Everybody wants God to do something through them. Very few people sign up for the class where God does some things in them. What's God doing in you? What's God doing in Joshua? He's building a depth of character that's not there. He's building a trust that's going to take 40 years. He's equipping Joshua for what's next in this season of preparation. But church, don't miss this. It was Joshua's obedience that led him here. And sometimes you can be going through life and nobody's perfect and we wouldn't claim to be. But the best that you can, you're trying to walk with the Lord and it's landed you in a place in your marriage. It's landed you a place in your career. It's landed you in a place with your kids that you didn't really see coming and you're not sure what to do next. And might I suggest for a minute that God has actually landed you in the season he wants you to be and it's a season of preparation. So how do you actually then make the most 
of those seasons when you find yourself in them. That's our third preparation principle for today. Your actions in a season of waiting determine whether or not it serves as a season of preparation. Now, I need you to write down four words. I'm going to give you a second to do that. I don't usually ask you to write down that many. But this is so big. And frankly, church, this is where most people get it wrong. A lot of times when someone obeys and it doesn't go the way they thought it should, it doesn't end up being fair, what happens is that person then turns on God. That person then disconnects from God's people. That person then begins to associate with other people who are not godly or, or maybe find some other things to kind of soothe the pain. Now, what happens then? It's not a season of preparation. It's actually a season of destruction. And one of Satan's big strategies is that when God takes you into a season of preparation is to interrupt that and say, no, no, God has abandoned you. I mean, look what you did, and God didn't do his part, and now here you are, and Satan has gotten more Christians off track over the year, and when God had led them into a season of preparation, and Satan deceived them into thinking that God had abandoned them, and that believer missed out on what God had for them in the season of preparation. It just became a season. There wasn't any purpose to it at all. See, Satan is not very creative. He's just incredibly persistent. He just uses the same strategy over and over and over. But church, don't miss this. It's your actions in these seasons that ultimately determine whether or not you're getting prepared. It's your actions. And say, well, then what am I supposed to do? If actions matter in a season of waiting, what is it that I'm supposed to do? Well, there's a helpful verse from the book of Psalms. We're stepping outside of Numbers just for a second that I think is helpful. Unfortunately, it can be very misunderstood. Psalm 130, verse 5. I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits, and in His Word I put my hope. The challenge with that verse is that we project our English understanding of the word wait onto this verse. The Bible wasn't written in English. Old Testament is written in Hebrew. The Hebrew word here for wait does not mean the same thing our English word for wait. So someone says, I'm just going to wait on the Lord. That doesn't mean you just kind of sit there. Like, well, I'm just going to let God do his thing. I don't want to get in the way. I don't want to get ahead of God. No, no, that's not what that word means. In Hebrew, the word wait means to faithfully and diligently continue to do what God has called you to today. It's a proactive word. It's an action-oriented word. So let's just say you're in a job you don't like. You're in a job you don't like. You feel like it's dead end. You don't feel like your career is going anywhere you wanted to go. Let me tell you what waiting on the Lord looks like. Waiting on the Lord looks like showing up to work early and staying late. It means being faithful. It means being diligent. It means outworking everybody. It means having an attitude where you're grateful for the job. Because guess what? It's providing income. And there's a lot of people right now that don't even have that. So you have gratitude in your heart. And you say, God, this isn't where I ultimately want to be. But if you're using this as a season of preparation for what's next, I'm in, God. Do in me what you want to do in me for the season you have ahead of me. Well, let's say you're in a season right now in your marriage and you're on fire for the Lord and your spouse could care less. Now, what am I supposed to do? Keep being on fire for the Lord. Treat your spouse with grace and kindness and say, Lord, you must be doing something in me right now in this season of preparation for what's next. But I'm not going to stop doing what I'm doing now even if I can't see any direct results today. Let's say you're a student. You guys have gone back to school. Congratulations, another school year, right? Isn't that funny? Like you finally get to summer and they're like, nope, you got to go back. So you go back to school and you keep doing this and you're sitting in classes and at some point every student begins to wonder, what am I doing with my life? Like, am I going to keep learning things that I'm not going to use in real life? Yes, that's called school. Like, you just learn a bunch of stuff that you don't use in real life. You're like, well, what is the point? The point is what God does in you in that process. 
What does he do in you? He builds character. He builds perseverance. He gives you influence. You will never have a greater opportunity to be a light than when you're a student in school. You get influence. You get to make friendship. And yes, you learn a few things that you can use along the way, but you've got to wait on the Lord. He said, I'm 16. I could be doing so much more. Of course you could be doing so much more. Joshua could have been doing so much more for 40 years, but God had him in a season of preparation. God may have the same thing for you, teenager. So when God puts you in that season, you've got to wait on the Lord. And here's the question Joshua had to answer. Am I going to still trust God? Joshua, you did the right thing. You know that we need to get into that promised land, but you're now stuck here for the next 40 years. You're moved, Joshua. What are you going to do? And Joshua got it right. He kept being faithful. He kept being diligent. He kept obeying God for the next 40 years. And church, if you find yourself in that place, in any area of your life where you feel like, I don't know how I got here, and I know there's somewhere else I need to be. God has led you there. He has a purpose to it. He wants to do something in you before he does something through you. He wants to build a character in you that's going to serve you well. He wants to give you some skills and some lessons and some things that are going to serve you well, because here's the truth for you. Just like in Joshua's life, please don't miss this, church. God's already fully present in your future. That's the incredible thing about God. Is that season that's on the horizon? God's already fully present there. But here's the good news. He's fully present with you and you're present as well. So you keep trusting him. You keep walking with him. You keep waiting on him. Would you bow your head with me together today? I know there's some of you in here. Some of you join us online. Man, you're in a tough spot. Been obedient. It's led you to a place you don't want to be. And it's really hard to keep trusting God when the circumstances of your life aren't going the way you hoped they would. Oftentimes when we find ourselves in that place, what encourages us is when we remember God's faithfulness in the past. It's a pattern. God's done this with Christians for years. God did this with his people and his word for years. You can be counted among God's people. He's doing it in you now. See, a major part of our story as Christians is waiting. For God to follow through and do what he had told his people for centuries he was going to do. So we're going to sing that song here to end our time together as a reminder. And so God, we come to you as your people, declaring that we're going to trust you. God, that, that you've already shown us enough. That God, even if we can't see what you're up to right now, you have our trust. We are your people. We are going to walk by faith because, God, if we can see what you're up to, it's not walking by faith. It's only when we can't see what you're up to that we have to choose to walk by faith. God, we will walk by faith. God, for those of us who are in a season of preparation and it can feel unfair, it can feel unwarranted, it can feel like abandonment, God, remind us of your presence. God, the way that you reminded Joshua of your presence every day for those 40 years, remind us of your presence. Help us to wait well. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, can I invite you to stand?